the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of Blood God, US Gamers official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me today, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, everybody. Hope you're having a very nice day. I'm having a very nice day because I've got fighter jets flying over my house right now. <laughs> she does, too. I-, I didn't see them, but I certainly heard them. Which I apologize for in advance. You may be hearing loud swooshing uh, that is happening over the podcast mic, so... Apologize for that. It just so happens that the Blue Angels will be flying over right when I need to be podcasting. They did it to inconvenience to you specifically. Yes. So as usual, we're going to be talking about a bunch of RPGs. We're going to be talking about a couple of the RPGs that are out this week. That would be Dragon's Dogma, Dark Arisen, and Mario Luigi Superstar plus Bowser's Minions. Also, we're going to be talking about Golf Story, why it loved, why everyone loves it. Nadia is doing her Final Fantasy IX report number three. And Chris Kohler is going to be joining us to be mm-hmm. talking about his new book for Boss Fight Books about Final Fantasy V, which Kohler has a really strong connection to Final Fantasy V, and he will be here to talk about it a whole bunch. But first things first, Nadia... This week's RPG releases. We got a couple of them. First one, Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen on PlayStation 4, Xbox One. We've talked about this one a little bit, but it's pretty rad, isn't it? Uh, I haven't gotten to play it yet. I really want to, but I've been working on Golf Story and Final Fantasy IX <laughs> and, and name it. But um, it's definitely in my queue because uh, we were talking about how it's a game that it's very unusual, even though it kind of comes across visually as a standard Western RPG. It definitely like combines tropes of both eastern and western so uh yeah that's very much in my wheelhouse by the sounds of it yeah because i mean it was designed by capcom and it yes it was designed by capcom and it has a little bit of that monster hunter aspect to it which in in the sense of it has giant monsters that you can climb up they're a lot of fun to fight also it has pawns which you can add to your party who, uh, one way or another, they kind of become... Uh, you kind of start to feel close to them. Yeah. Like Pawns are a big part of this game. Personally, I really liked the the art and the style and the graphics. Um, I like the personality of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dark Arisen adds, brings with it all of the DLC and everything from the PC version, though not any new content. So if yeah. you missed it the first couple times, now is probably a good time to pick it up. Like me. Yes, absolutely. So I would give this one a thumbs up for sure. The other one is Mario and Luigi Superstar plus Bowser's Minions. This one's, uh, I got this one in the mail. I've been, I would say dabbling in it. I don't have any plans to review it because I don't usually try and review remakes unless they're like super duper uh, notable, Nadia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I understand, especially this time of year. You, your time's kind of limited. <laughs> My time is always kind of limited, Nadia. That's just how it goes. Yeah. It's the irony of being an RPG fan. I don't really have time to play RPGs unless I really set aside time to want to play them. This is one that I, um, thinking back on it, if I could rewind time, I would tell you, you know what, send it to me because uh, I was not a humongous fan of the original uh, Mario and Luigi game just because I found it very cumbersome and I hear the remake 
does a lot to make the game a lot less cumbersome. Whereas where I did find it initially a very charming, funny, good-looking game, I just found it very tedious to play. And if the remake fixes a lot of that, as it's supposed to, uh, I'm down. It adds a ton of tweaks and features and things like that. It's also a pretty comprehensive remake from a visual standpoint. Mm-hmm. It looks really good. It's it's a huge step up from the original GBA version. They've completely re- redone that, which is pretty cool. The only thing that it's missing, I don't consider this a negative, Nadia, but some people seem to consider this a not a negative. No 3D. That's right. Uh, I learned that yesterday. I was watching Game Explained's uh, review of the game, and they liked it a lot. Uh, although they found the uh, sprites to be a little bit, um, a little, a bit of a downgrade next to the really expressive sprites on the GBA, but they said the backgrounds hmm. are fantastic. You think so? I think that's still pretty expressive. From I think so. I, I have no problem at all with them. I think they're hilarious. Um, More of a 3D look, but yeah. that in this case, they're still pretty stylized, so I don't see that as a huge problem. Yeah, neither do I. Uh, one thing that is missing, though, that some people are kind of uh, salty about is Gino. He's not there. Yeah, what the heck is up with that? <laughs> that is very that is very funny because again, as Game Explained pointed out, Gino, like you, you had kind of had him as a me fighter in uh, Smash Brothers. So yeah, I, I, I mean, okay, so Gino was in the Gino was in the original Mario RPG. Am I correct? Yeah, Gino, of course, was in Super Mario RPG for the SNES, but then for Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, he was a cameo who kind of explained how a mini game worked. It was just he was there for like two seconds, and they yanked him out. Do you think remake. Gino's non-canon now? <laughs> I don't know what to think anymore. <laughs> Do you think that they have pay, have to pay royalties to Square to be able to use Gino? I'm pretty sure there's something going on there because not just Gino, but Mallow. You never hear anything about that poor little sucker anymore. Because it makes me wonder who owns the rights to these characters. And my first thought is that Gino and Mallow, they are they are Square Enix creations. Am I right? Yeah, they definitely are. Um, I think so. Square, they probably own those characters, right? They almost certainly do. And I'm sure that when they made the original Mario RPG, nobody was thinking in the future like, "Hey, how are we going to license out these characters?" Especially since I think at that point, uh, Nintendo and Square Enix were like hiding daggers behind each other's backs when they were, went to go to <laughs> meet up for. Uh, stuff <laughs> they weren't very friendly it to nintendo brute yes uh, uh and did you like gino I, I gino really did not stand out to me in any way shape or form in mario rpg i really like gino i think he's a really cool character um i really liked him when i was a kid when i was younger the one reason the one thing the one problem i have with him is that you could tell square was using him to make him seem so much cooler than Mario and Peach and everyone else. Uh, it's just that tone in the RPG that I've, I've talked about at length before. I think Gino is like the epitome of that Square Enix, hey, we know how to write characters. You're kind of just kind of sit back and watch us do this sort of thing. And, and Gino emphasizes that. But as a character, I, I like him. He, he's pretty cool by design. <laughs> In addition to the tweaked mechanics, the updated graphics, and the lack of Geno, <laughs> Mario RPG or Mario Superstar Saga also includes Bowser's Minions, which is it's not a story mode like I originally thought. It's more of a tactics game. It's like real time strategy. It's kind of interesting and, and, yeah. and different. Uh, they're trying some new things. I don't know that it's a game changer necessarily. <laughs> I don't think that it would be the kind of thing that I would buy the game just mm-hmm, for that, mm-hmm. but I guess it's kind of an interesting addition. Yeah, um, I like how it does fill in a, a story gap, even though 
in itself. Mm. It's not like a huge narrative undertaking, but it's got it fills in a story gap. It's cute. It's yeah, because Bowser leaves at a certain point. Yeah, yeah, and he kind of leaves his minions, and uh, of course you have one side who's like, "Well, we're still loyal to Bowser," and the other side is, "Well, all hail Fawful." So <laughs> that's what they're battling over. And I did see the, a, the Bowser Civil War. The Bowser Civil War. There you go. I would love to see a full game like that. Holy crap, that would be amazing. So and much, so much fan fiction going on there. It totally is. And I did see a Boo with a raccoon tail and ears, and I thought that was mm. adorable. That was ridiculous. <laughs> But Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga plus Bowser's Minions will be out on the Nintendo 3DS as of this recording uh, today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen is also out. I would, I would recommend Mario and Luigi Superstar if you are looking for a fun DS 3DS RPG to hold you over until pokemon these games have a ton of personality uh, a great sense of humor uh but if you don't want to invest in that and you happen to have a wii u you can also get the original on the wii u eShop as an alternative and if you miss gino that much (laughs) he means that much he's there yes i sure means something to someone right oh absolutely uh there was a bit of a an uproar when he wasn't there all right, another RPG that is out available on a Nintendo system came out last week. Uh, everybody's been kind of talking about mm-hmm. Golf Story. Nadia, you have had time to delve into it. You wrote an article about it on the site. I did. Tell me about it. Uh, I'm assuming you haven't played any of it today. I've been right? playing some of it, okay. and I I watched it. But tell the audience about it. <laughs> Well, it's, it reminds me a lot of, of Stardew Valley in that it takes a, a genre that's been more or less, you know, not really abandoned but kind of forgotten and makes its own thing out of it. In this case, Mario Golf, where Stardew Valley readapted uh, Harvest Moon. Um, it's a really interesting, unique game. Like, I don't find it quite as charming as, as Stardew Valley, but I do find it very charming. Uh, what I really like about it is it's a golf game, yes, then golfing is a huge element. Uh, there are times where you you kind of buckle down and you, you play the nine holes or whatever. But then it's like you'll be wandering around some country club and there's a switch. And it's like, well, how do you hit it? Well, you direct a ball towards it. <laughs> you whack it and uh, that hits the switch. I thought that was really clever. Um, it, it's a very tongue-in-cheek game. It doesn't take itself very seriously. Uh, the graphics are, are pretty good, although the music's kind of... It's definitely not Stardew Valley quality. It's uh, kind of the definition of a Switch game at this point, isn't it? It kind of is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I've always joked that RPGs are RPGs and sports games are essentially one and one and the same. And there's a lot yeah. of truth to that, in my opinion, because they're both numbers. You both want to catch them all. And uh, Golf Story is yet another example of a sports game quote-unquote that incorporates a a decent sense of humor some appealing graphics and some rpg mechanics i believe in particularly in terms of what uh, clubs you use yeah uh, to kind of cross break out of the traditional sports niche and appeal to a much broader audience Mm -hmm. and you have like these really silly rivalries here and there like one of my favorite things is um there's in one corner of the first golf course you start on the first country club. There's the frisbee golf uh, punks just sitting there taking up the real estate, and everyone hates them. <laughs> and they're a bunch of douchebags. Stupid frisbee golfers. <laughs> there you go. They're usually sequestered to Toronto Islands over here, but uh, they must be everywhere in San Fran. 
there is a frisbee golf course in Golden Gate Park. I believe it's known as the country's largest frisbee golf course. Mm -hmm. So when I go running through Golden Gate Park in the mornings, I will be ducking frisbees. <laughs> You're gonna usually, get one day. it's weird. There will be people out at nine in the morning drinking and wow. playing frisbee golf during the week and i'm like who are you guys what do you do for a why living? are you drinking <laughs> it's nine in the morning because they play frisbee golf I'm yeah pretty too, much play frisbee golf although uh the characters they say they they play disc golf if you call it frisbee golf they'll kill you disc, disc golf oh disc i didn't know that i think frisbee might be copywritten oh is that how it is yeah yeah the term is copywritten. do you want to get sued <laughs> exactly the shinning Yes. Uh, so another thing that's pretty appealing about this game, the courses are really goofy. You were talking about a prehistoric course and that kind of thing. Yeah, there's like a prehistoric uh, course and instead of uh, like sand traps, you get tar pits uh, and you get like that's you get like overgrown grass and uh, you get cave people who are like really into their whole role play. Um, like they mm -hmm. initially won't let you golf on their course because the golf course, the, the uh, country club you're from, Wellworn Groves, stole an idol from them. So until you can get that idol back, you can't, like, play a regular round of golf there. You can play on the Wii Links, though, for the kids. <laughs> I keep losing. How, how far did you get in Golf Story? Uh, I finished the second quest, like, with the uh, the prehistoric uh, golf course. Um, but that's only as far as I've gotten. Because it's okay. actually a, a bit of a time-consuming game. Oh, in what sense? Uh, the, the complaint I do have about it is that it can be quite directionless at times. Uh, you do have a note book that tells you what you need to do and where you need to go but sometimes you're just kind of left spinning in the wind uh like you need to find for example i needed to find a a set of digging clubs so i could find help an archaeological archaeological a, a dirt spit digging it out guy. nadia you can do it <laughs> help him find an artifact and um I didn't know how to get the club, and uh, you would assume, okay, well, you have to buy it at the pro shop, but the pro shop was closed. Okay, how do you open the pro shop? It turns out you have to complete a series of sub-quests that are a pain in the butt, frankly, uh, and I had no idea that these were the people who unlocked this particular pro shop because the place is just crawling with sub-quests. They're everywhere, so how am I supposed to know these guys are the ones who will open the pro shop for me? I had to look it up on Game FAQs. I was lost. Game FAQs. You know what's funny? I've been going to Game FAQs more recently as well, for mm. some reason. A well, site that you would think would be long gone, but is still going. People are still posting on those message boards. Exa exactly that. Uh, because how much time do you have to, to wander around if a game's not telling you what to do or where to go? Like, yeah, people don't actually post facts anymore. They just ask questions on the message board. Where do I go? Yeah. What do I do? I don't understand. Yeah, I just have to ask a direct question, and nine out of ten times, it's going to be asked already on the, the Game FAQs board. We'll be talking a little bit later to Chris Kohler, as I mentioned, who actually had a big impact on Game Facts because he posted one of the very first Final Fantasy V oh, that's right. uh, facts. I've wow. been going to FAQs, Game Facts, since like 1999. It's I remember ridiculous. them out. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I, yes, I, exactly. I oh my gosh. I the Breath of Fire 3 to get through the desert. And now everybody subs does guides and subsists on guides, including us. Yes, but, we do. Read our guides. Uh, so Ghost Story is a charming little game. A lot of people seem to really like its sense of humor. It, it's a little bit different, a little bit fun. It kind of brings that 
Well, you mentioned Stardew Valley, but it's a little bit different. It has a similar style to Stardew mm-hmm. Valley at the very least. And yeah, uh, we would recommend it. Yeah, so. I would say definitely give it a try. Y- you might like it. A lot of people <laughs> seem to. A lot of people definitely do. Okay, Nadia, it's time for the Final Fantasy IX report. Yes, it is. I have been playing quite a bit of Final Fantasy IX in the past couple of days. Um, as I recall, when we left off, I had just entered, I forget the town name, but it's a little town that you visit shortly after getting through the ice caverns. And it becomes quickly apparent something is not right the, because there are no adults in this town. And it's like, ooh, it's the Children what? of the Corn. <laughs> so, children of the Corn or that episode of Star Trek Miri. Oh, that's right. I forgot about where that. Where they're all kids until, but they're growing up extremely slowly. Yeah. That's right. Until they hit a certain age, they hit uh, puberty, I think, and proceed to uh, proceed to melt or die horribly. <laughs> oh dear! Oh, and Captain Kirk totally hits on a prepubescent girl. Of course he does. It's <laughs> real gross. It's a terrible episode. <laughs> South Park also did a similar episode. That's right the uh, the carousel episode. Yeah, the one where the kids take over the town. Yeah, so that's pretty much what's going on here, but not quite as not not quite as awful because there are adults but they're all working kind of secretly in like an underground facility making uh um, like as golems that look a lot like vivi and Mm. he has an existential crisis because he's like why am i an assembly am i an assembly line character thing is this is this who i am uh but of course vivi has you know thought and reason and emotions and none of the black mage dolls do so uh I escaped from uh, Corntown, <laughs> and then we basically got in the airship, went to uh, Lindblom, uh, but we were chased by one of the Black Waltzes. I think it was number number two or three. Number um, two, but you also fight number three. Yeah, and you fight both of them. Pretty close, pretty cl- in pretty close succession, as I recall. Yeah, it's number three that chases you. Yeah, and yeah. you actually fight it a bit on the the airship. Uh, so I I want to say that. That airship chase is just rad. I love the airship chase. Yeah, that was pretty cool, especially since what happens is uh, whichever Black Walt it is, I think it's number three, uh, loses its mind and says, I was built only to kill like over and over again and tries to ram your airship. And uh, Terrifying. He basically, like, the, the Black Mage dolls all try to protect Vivi for some unknown reason at this point, and he just, like, blasts them all off the deck, and it was really sad. Black waltzes are blasting off again. <laughs> blasting off other people. I, I I think I've mentioned this before, but a couple of thoughts. One, I have noticed that they really emphasize airships in this one. Oh, yeah. It's all about airships. Because uh, the, the theater troupe has their own airship at first, which crashes, obviously. Yeah. And then as you're escaping uh, Children of the Corn Town, <laughs> you are riding on a cargo ship. Mm-hmm heading toward Limblum and you have as I said that really thrilling Star Wars style airship chase yeah where you're getting chased by an itty bitty airship piloted by the Black Waltz number three yeah and it does that usual thing that Independence Day style thing where you're (laughs) frantically trying to get through the gate that's closing and you just barely get through and the Black Mage number three crashes into it, so... That was such a late 90s thing for so many games, that to, just to imitate uh, Independence Day however they could, like the giant yes, so like, beam cannons and, and whatnot. 
Uh, that was a striking imagery but, in 1996. Yeah, it is. I, I still kind of like to watch Independence Day now. It's silly and it's stupid, but you can see where God, it's so is. cheesy. <laughs> it's so bad. There are certain elements of it that have really not aged all that well. No. I mean, it's aged okay, but certain elements have The thing I remember not. most about it is I saw it with my parents, and we went to like a really old-styled uh, movie theater that's not around anymore, and it had a balcony. And I sat with my parents in the front row of the balcony, and my dad said, I'll give you 10 bucks if you throw your Pepsi down on someone down there. And I didn't take it. <laughs> you didn't do that? I didn't do it. Your dad asked you to do that? My gosh, what's yes, wrong with did. your dad? Well, he, he uh, gave birth to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, your father gave birth to you. Interesting. Well, he created me. Fair enough. But, I was going to uh, say. We got a little junior thing going on here. Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yeah, that I've never seen. I don't think I want to see it. I, I wouldn't recommend it. But, okay, so, yeah, the airship chase, aside from the fact that it prominently features airships in actually a pretty cool way. Also, I, I already mentioned how exciting the the cutscenes are in this game, and yeah. this is another great example, because yeah. you have the Black Waltz chasing them around, like mm-hmm. multiple really like close-ups and the black waltz looks super menacing mm. with its glowing eyes and it's powering up its lightning attacks and then it flashes to vivi who has that really expressive sad looking eyes yeah. but he manages to gather himself just enough to do a fire attack and totally fend it off which was where i got really excited yeah uh and then of course Silly Black Waltz tries to power up another lightning attack and accidentally sets his airship on fire. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess they're not extremely smart. Powerful, but not smart. And uh, one thing I really liked, going back to what you said earlier about how airships are an emphasis in this game, once you pass the South Gate and get into Lindblom airspace, you kind of see just all these airships hanging around the world map. I thought that was a nice touch. So what do you think of Lindblom? It's, uh, it's a big town, all right. Uh, I've explored a lot of it. Um, we're going to talk about Tetra Master, I know, but I challenged a few people to Tetra Master, and I lost my butt on that. And uh, yeah, so I got to the I got to Lindblom. I uh, saw the uh, Regent Sid, who likes airships appropriately enough, mm-hmm. and uh, he's been transformed into a, an oglop, a bug. Yes, he has. And uh, he hasn't said who did it, but apparently, uh, no, I'm sorry, he did say it. it was his wife, wasn't it? His scorned wife. Or yep, because he was having an affair with someone. Hell has no fury. <laughs> Apparently, Regent not. Sid, and she took off with the latest airship, which was named like Helga. you do. Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> I thought that was so. Limbloom is a really striking-looking city, in my opinion. It has that wonderful fantasy technology look. Yeah, that it really does. It works so well in a fantasy game, a Final Fantasy game. It's right up there with the the main city in Final Fantasy XII for me. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Esther from Final Fantasy VIII and Midgar from Final Fantasy VII. Uh, it seemed like every game from Final Fantasy VII onward had to have a massive, impressive capital city yeah, that just really stands out to you, and Lynn Bloom is the one in Final Fantasy IX. I think Six had one, too, uh, Vector, the Imperial City, which was not very big. But it was very striking because it was, again, quite a bit like Nine in a way that it had a lot of steam tech hanging around. Uh, although it's a Vector was a lot more menacing than Lindblom. So Regent Sid, Regent Sid, of course, is the latest in a long line of Sids. <laughs> many Sids. We've had many Sids. What do you think of this Sid? 
Uh, I don't know what to think of him just yet because he's a bug. And he might be hiding something. He probably is hiding something because... Uh, Are you course, racist against bugs, Nadia? Jeez. Of course I'm racist against bugs. Ugh, they have too many legs. Well, spiders oh. are kind of cute. But um, basically... Not all bugs. <laughs> hashtag not all bugs. Um, he was the one who apparently organized to have uh, uh, Garnet kidnapped because he knew the queen of uh, Alexandria is, is kind of nuts or going nuts. Uh, so that was that was an interesting twist. I, I have to admit, I didn't see coming at first, uh, because I honestly thought Zidane and his buddies were uh, kidnapping her for ransom money or something like that. But then I kind of let go of that theory as I got more familiar with the crew because they weren't really the kidnap for ransom type. They were the plot more... thickens. Yeah, yeah. But... So it's obvious that there is something wrong with the queen over in Alexandria. Yeah, and. Well, the, uh, even Sid is just, like I said, I feel like he's hiding something, but I, I won't really know anything about that until I guess that's revealed. I like him a lot better than Headmaster Sid from Final Fantasy VIII, who is a weird interesting, interesting character, ultimately, <laughs> but I mean, he was also kind of a dork wearing glasses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> everybody uh, always, everybody smarter. loves Sid Highwind from Final Fantasy VII. Uh, I like him less as I get older, uh, because... Uh, really? Well, he, he he's... He's a good fighter, don't get me wrong, and he has he has some really funny lines, like, sit your ass down and drink your goddamn tea. I still think that's great. But there's the whole kind of abusive, I don't know if they'd call him, like, a boyfriend, but just the way he abuses the woman he lives with. And mm-hmm. she was in the right, the whole like, with the whole, like, rocket ship thing the whole time, and she never said anything. And it was just really awkward to, to look back on now. He is the archetypal guy who has kind of lost his dreams or seems to have thought he lost his dreams and is taking it out on everybody else exactly exactly and uh, uh it, it is honestly sympathetic how the way shinra just kind of dropped the the space program like i understand why he'd be pissed off about that and just the way that sometimes corporations just lose interest in something immediately and to hell with everyone involved that's very relatable but you know screw you what are you gonna do everyone Everyone loses out. Just don't take it down on other people, you jerk. How old is he? 33? Oh my god, don't say things like that. <laughs> Final Fantasy VI had the Sid, the magic tech guy, who was running the factories and everything. And I fe- I fed him a poison fishy and he totally he died. died. Yeah. Uh, you can make him survive, but it doesn't really do anything. That's just really, really disappointing. I forget what Sid does in Final Fantasy V and Four. Of course, he has the helmet and the beard, and he is the airship pilot in yeah. that one as well. Yeah. And I forget what Sid does in Ten. Oh, I totally forget. Uh, the one of the better Sids is Sid from Final Fantasy Tactics, who is totally OP. <laughs> <laughs> is he an engineer in that one? You know what? I've never played much of Tactics, believe it or not. No, he's like a knight. Oh well. Oh, you weren't with us when we all did the long play of Final Fantasy no, Tactics. No, I wasn't. Yeah, that was fun. That, yeah, that was the fun. first time I finally beat Final Fantasy Tactics, and I ultimately really enjoyed it. I was playing it on my Vita. I was playing the PSP version on my Vita. Oh, so nice. I took that as my opportunity to finally wrap that one out. But was that the uh, War of the Lions one? Yeah, it was War of the Lions. Some people. So I really like some people. Yeah, some people swear by the PlayStation one and nothing else. Which is, well, I don't know. The translation isn't super great, which Blame is the common knock of the PlayStation 1. But yeah. 
as as for Regent Sid, I I like him because he he's fun and energetic and kind of memorable in a bug. <laughs> he is definitely a bug. He has a, he's a bug with a mustache. All right, let's talk a little bit about Tetra Master. Nadia, what do you think of Tetra Master? What the hell is up with Tetra Master? Like, I just it's so obtuse, and when it starts off like, oh, here's how you play it. Okay, that's easy. Oh no, there's like power and and hit points. Where are they? I don't know. So all my cards are gone. Goodbye. Did you lose all of your cards? No, no, but um, did, I, I'm getting there. Uh, okay, so the way it works is you have a certain hand. It's it's a little like triple triad mm-hmm. from Final Fantasy VIII, and then you basically are putting cards on a grid and attacking other cards right. with them. And I think there are elements going on there as well. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think so. I don't. I don't remember anything about elements. Just power, defense, and magic versus physical. Okay. Yeah, I I don't know. Like, I was not. I loved Triple Triad mm-hmm. back in the day. Final Fantasy VIII, mostly because I could walk around and I was bugging everybody to let me play a Triple Triad. <laughs> I liked how overpowered it was I could get just by refining cards into different spells and attaching them to my characters. It was great time saving. Yeah. uh, It was fun collecting super high level cards for special characters and everything. Mm -hmm. And finding, finding the characters who had certain rare cards was super exciting to me. And I really liked the quest to find all of the top card players everywhere. Yeah, and yeah. trying to beat them. I like the rules thing, and by comparison, Tetra Master just isn't as deep. Yeah, and you don't get. Uh, I've heard that you don't get like many rewards for it, if any at all. You, I think you do get rewards. I think it connects to uh, one of the optional bosses. No, that might be Chocobo Hot and Cold. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> now I can't remember, but. Yeah, you don't get quite as many rewards. Uh, Triple Triad is a huge part of Final Fantasy VIII's sub-quest reward system. But Tetra Master, the board is much bigger this time around. But it just doesn't feel quite as deep. And I actually managed to get every single card in that game without too much trouble. So my... My recollections of Tetra Master aren't that aren't that great, and it doesn't sound like you're enjoying it very much. No, but I'm a glutton for punishment. I keep trying. I know there's rules. <laughs> you keep trying. I keep trying. I know there's rules that people lay around. Like you'll find, like oh, I people don't understand the rules to this game they're playing. It's like living in a Yu-Gi-Oh universe. It's nuts. They're like, oh, I think the first number represents this, and I think the second number represents this. It's like, can you imagine playing like 14 card Rummy without like a clear understanding of what you're doing? Yes. Because I used to do that with Hearthstone. <laughs> that must be the Hungarian in me. They're all into 14-card Rummy. Oh, is that how it is? <laughs> yeah, apparently. But, all right. Uh, uh, you should keep playing Tetra Master because I want to see how your thoughts on it evolve over time. Sure, as long as I can keep finding cards to replace my lost ones. I did meet Freya, though. Yeah, you should be able to. Oh, yeah, what do you Freya's think of Freya? Amazing. Yeah, Freya's pretty amazing. I haven't gotten to like put her in a, uh, a party yet, though. Uh, I named mm-hmm. her Late Rose after the character from Martin the Warrior. Oh my gosh. Now that's a reference. I almost named her Rat Kane. Rat Kane? See, yeah. that's what you should have named her. Yeah, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Hoffman from, uh, he used to write for Nintendo Power. He said he wants to name his uh, firstborn Rat Kane now. Uh, you totally should have named her Rat Kane. 
Uh, so how does she come into the game? You meet her in a bar, don't you? You meet her in a bar because uh, Zidane is uh, harassing one of the barmaids, and she basically tells him to shut up. So I'm like, oh, hey, I like her already. But yeah, <laughs> apparently they... they I, I don't want to say they had a thing going on. I don't think they did, but they did know each other, and she's looking for her boyfriend. So that's all I really know much about her at this point. And she's so she hasn't come me. into the party yet? No, no, because I'm about to do some sort of like wild beast hunt. Uh, that's part of the kingdom tradition or something like that. And she's part of that, and that's where I am. Is Steiner still in the party? Steiner is still in the party. Steiner's kind of the antagonist-protagonist, which I always like, where he's following you around, but he's telling you about how you're going to be locked up real soon. Yeah, and everyone just tells him to shut up. (laughs) Because he's always like, when we get back to Alexandria, I'm going to hang you. And it's like, well, no, actually, you've done some good deeds, so I'll make sure you just get a life sentence. I'll petition for a life sentence on your behalf. That's That's the noble thing to do. As I mean, he's very noble in that regard. Thank you, Steiner. Yeah, that's a uh, he's very, very lawful good for all for for better for worse. All right, last point: Moogles. Oh, they're so cute. Although I don't. You haven't really talked about the Moogles yet. Yeah, I, I know the male thing. I can't remember how that's supposed to work. I I don't know either. The mail quest. Aren't you helping them deliver yeah, mail? Yeah, like. Yeah, but I haven't gotten any offers from of mail yet, so I don't really have anything to deliver to. Well, obviously what you have to do is you have to take the mail, or obviously you just have to keep talking to them. And also you want to go on GameFAQs or <laughs> the online guides that are still around somewhere, and it will totally explain the mail quest. The online guides? Yes, I mean... The, the strategy, yeah, exactly. So go on the guides that you need to pay for and get... Uh, and and figure out what the mail quest is going on. No, you're right. But, I gotta I gotta make the Moogles happy. They're still not as cute I, as they are in twelve, but they are pretty cute. I think this is the second time that Moogles actually appeared in an American game because really? they. I don't think they're in seven. No, they 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 appear very briefly in seven for Mog Quest, uh, which is like a, a game you can play at the Golden Saucer. Oh, okay. And they. Uh, oh, you know and I guess. I guess Ketchi is kind of riding a Moogle. He's riding a Moogle thing. I still don't understand what's with that thing. Like a robotic Moogle thing? Or no, it is a robot. It's being but, uh, controlled from afar, but... Moogles are in the Mana series. They're Mo- in, Moogles are? They're in uh, Final Fantasy Adventure, I think. Where you can okay. be Moogled as a status. And there, there's like actual Moogles in Secret of Mana. But it's not, they're not an 8. Because no. that's where Moombas are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I recently recorded an episode of Retronauts where we talked about Final Fantasy VI with Chris Kohler who's going to be coming on very shortly and we uh, I had not realized that that marked the debut of Moogles in America well other than Secret of Mana yes other than Secret oh that's true yeah they okay so Secret of Mana was the debut but the debut in America in the series proper okay that's fair I I would have liked to be on that episode too bad Aren't the Moogles where you save? In uh, nine, yes. Yes, so I mean they're about. super cute. I'm talking about with the Koopos anyway. and they're nicely rendered and everything. They really add a lot of personality to a game that's already really brimming with it. Yeah, th- I like how when you save, like you don't, ju- you don't just go to a menu. They take out a they take out a book and they do a little flip. It's really cute. <laughs> so we're in Limblum right now, which is kind of a, a resting point, I suppose, a jumping off point for the rest of the game yes. or the rest of the story. You've completed, I would say, the first the first act, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That sounds about uh, right. 
how are you feeling about it so far? I'm having a lot of fun. I want to play more, so that's always good. Yes. Uh, w- any other observations that you want to add into the record before we move on? Uh, I am not sure about Zidane. <laughs> he's kind of not like, sure about Zidane. He's kind of cute, but he's kind of annoying. Somebody mentioned that Zidane might be one of the only examples of an ugly Final Fantasy protagonist. Like physically ugly? Yeah, like physically ugly. I mean, you look at him, he's not an attractive guy. No, I did say on Twitter that like he looks like a counterfeit Ronald McDonald toy. And he oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, just looking at his menu, I'm like, oh my god, why does he look like his menu port? And I'm like, god, he looks like a counterfeit Ronald McDonald. What the hell? He just his face wrong. does look a little squished. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to... I'm trying to remember, like, there is a character that he really specifically looks like from an 80s movie or something like that. That is funny. Oh, oh, I know exactly who you're talking about. He looks like a Gelfling, Gelfling from uh, Dark Crystal. Yeah, that might be it. Yeah. Oh, weird. weird kind of monkey face. So you're not feeling Zidane, huh? No, not really, but that's okay. I mean, he has lots of supporting characters. I like Garnet. I like uh, Steiner for what he is. I, I, I'm probably going to like... Uh, uh, Freya a lot, and I like Vivi a lot, so... Eh. I've already said that Vivi's the real star of the show, and yeah. so is Garnett to a greater, uh, a lesser extent. I think both of them have a much richer emotional journey than Zidane, who is an enjoyable character, but not amazing, in my opinion. But maybe you disagree with me. Send us an email to usgamer at usgamer.net, and we may read your opinion on the show, or just drop us a line on the show notes for acts of the blood god but okay that has been final fantasy 9 report number three i I hope that you've been playing along with us if you have been let us know on social media or somewhere else tell us how you're feeling about your run through final fantasy 9 and we will be back as usual with the fourth final fantasy 9 report as we keep plugging away all right let's talk about some final fantasy 5 with chris kohler All right, here for the first time on this podcast, which is a little crazy to be saying. Wait, really? Yeah, I think this is the yeah. first time that you're being on here, Chris. Is Chris Kohler, wow. of course, who is a Retronauts alum, has been elsewhere. He's currently at Kotaku, and he has a new book coming out for Boss Fight Books. It's about Final Fantasy V, and you decided to write about Final Fantasy V, not just because it's an amazing video game, obviously, but you have a personal connection to it, Chris. I do. So the book is actually out. Uh, you can get it on Amazon or you can get it on bossfightbooks.com directly from the publisher. So you can get it right now. Um, and yeah, I do have a personal connection to it. Uh, Final Fantasy V was the first video game that I ever imported. Um, and this was back in 1995 and I was 15 years old and wow. I was um, I had just finished up playing Final Fantasy six uh mm-hmm. you know which was released as final fantasy three and you know i'd kind of found out i mean i was actually looking forward to final fantasy five coming to america because i had played secret of mana and i played final fantasy four and all the thing what the magazines were telling me was oh um final fantasy five in japan is going to get translated here and they're going to retitle it final fantasy three and then the next thing i knew um they uh, had, in fact, uh, they were going to skip over Final Fantasy V, and they were going to go straight to Final Fantasy VI. Um, and I was so mad. I was like, what do you mean you're going to skip it? You don't skip it. This is not, you have one job. This is what not optional. 
Yeah, like, <laughs> your job is to make the Final Fantasy, and then you bring over the Final Fantasy. Like, I don't get it. What is what is happening here? Um, and, of course, I'm 15, so I'm like, you know, rationality does not enter into it. I'm just super, super pissed off. Um, and I channel that anger into figuring out, okay, well, well, then, okay, so then Final Fantasy VI comes out, and I'm like... Okay, to be fair, this game is really good. <laughs> like yeah. that's like okay, if you're going to skip over Oh, oh, okay. This is a super good game. But I still want more Final Fantasy. So, I that's what gets me to say, okay, how do I import a video game? Well, it's 1995 and that is super hard. Um <laughs> they there's no I mean, there's we have like America Online, but it's not like like e- e-commerce in general. Yes was just no. starting up that year like like Amazon launched that year selling books selling a few send a money orders send a check books. yeah exactly exactly so i had um basically the only option was to open up those video game magazines and turn to the back pages okay oh. and that's where die hard game club the people who, who produced Die Hard Game Fan Magazine, like that's where they advertised. And then all these other stores advertised import games. Now, I had seen these before. Like, I had seen these before, before the Super Nintendo even came out when I was like 11. And it was like, we can get you a Super Famicom now with Super <laughs> Mario World. Call us for the price. I was 11. I didn't even, I didn't even have the money to call them. I did not even have the money to make a long distance call. <laughs> you were of limited means. I was in Connecticut. They were in California. They, I, I, I knew deep down it was not happening. But with Final Fantasy V, it was like, okay, look, I'm, I'm 15. I have some money. Like, let me try to figure this out. And I call up Die Hard Game Club, which advertised, even in the back of, like, EGM, they'd have, like, big, you know, full page yeah. or two-page spreads, all this I stuff. Those. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, and, I'm, and remember, Final Fantasy V had come out in 1992 in Japan. So it was, I wasn't like ordering the hottest, hottest, you know, new import. It was cool. <laughs> yeah. And I call up and I say, okay, how much is Final Fantasy V? And the guy's like, $130. Oh, my I'm God. Like, that is not happening. Bye. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, what's plan B? Um, because, again, there's no emulators. Like, emulators mm-hmm. had, people had just started to do emulators for, like, the ColecoVision. The Super Ninten- a Super Nintendo emulator in 1995 was so pie in the sky to even yeah. imagine a computer running and, that. But the hilarious thing was that at 1995, it was like, oh, my God, a computer emulating a Super Nintendo? Where, you know, yeah. we're going to go to Mars first. <laughs> But it happened within a couple of years. Like, mm-hmm. it actually happened by 97, 98. Like, but who had computer it, with the processing power to actually be able to do that? Well, no, it did. It absolutely did. It was really it was really more of a software writing problem. And mm. people were able to... I mean, a lot of what we kind of talk about in the book is the internet kind of coming in and very quickly changing the situation on the ground for everybody. Mm. Because it was somebody on the internet, I think, that told me, oh... There's this store in California called Gameland. Here's their info. And you can just call them and they'll do mail order. And they I don't think they had ads in Electronic Gaming Monthly. Like they might have had very small ads, but like maybe nothing. But they right. were just a local, you know, in Connecticut, we didn't have the local video game store that dealt in imports and weird stuff. Like that's mm-hmm. that's not something that we had. <laughs> but in but in Southern California. Like, that was a big thing because right. lots of Japanese people lived there. There was a big demand for import games and used stuff. And so I call up the store in California and they're like, oh, forty nine ninety five plus $5 shipping. I was like, nice. yes, that's what cool. I want. 
So I get the game. takes weeks. It's a bare cartridge. And um, we take the Super Nintendo. We take a pair of pliers and we rip the tabs out of the cartridge <laughs> slot. And again, I don't know this is going to work. Like, I'm just like, the internet told me that if I take a pair of pliers, stick it into the Super Nintendo and rip out the, you know, rip out the tabs, then a Japanese game is going to work. And I told that to my parents and they looked at me like I was crazy. (laughs) Like, like that was really going to happen. The cartridge didn't even look the same. It didn't Mm -hmm. look like it would even fit in there. It was just like, this is nuts. And, um, you know, fortunately, as we know, that actually does work. Like that was the region lock was two pairs of tabs would that that was the you know the region locks they use today but they're a little <laughs> complicated nope. well region locks got, are going away thankfully they are they really are again <laughs> um and uh, of course they're going away just at the time when like well actually i mean it, these days it got to the point where everything was being localized right like back in the ps2 days like it felt like it was the golden age because like if it came out and it was going to be at all interesting to, to the West, somebody would localize it. Yeah. Um, and so with PS2, even PS3, it seemed like, oh, we're finally getting every game. But these days, things are getting so fragmented and fractured, like, you know, stuff on mobile, you know, all kinds of indie downloadable stuff. A lot of stuff is we're going back to the days of things not getting localized anymore. But it's good because we have... Um, region-free systems now where if you want to play crazy japanese only games on ps4 you can do it with with sony's basic okay they like yeah it's region-free make a ja- yeah i i see people who work for sony making japanese accounts i see people who work for <laughs> nintendo of america like oh i just made a japanese account on my on my switch it's like okay well look if you're doing it and you're talking about it then you know clearly it's okay um and so yeah and and in fact with with switch what's really interesting is that um there, it, not only is the Switch region free, but I mean, I think you you may have noticed this. Um, the products on the Switch, the downloadable games, are global skews. Like, mm. if you buy one of the Neo Geo games off the Japanese shop, the Japanese version, when that game is released in America, and you go to look at that game's page on the U.S. version, it will tell you, oh, you have already purchased this. Oh, interesting. Oh, we live in the yeah. future, man. It is. And, and <laughs> no I, more plastic Nintendo, tabs. Nintendo doesn't go and talk about this kind of stuff, but they really have engineered a system behind the scenes where, like, you know, and it's good for an indie developer because, like, an indie developer now, you can make your game for the Switch and you don't have to go find an American publisher to get right. that game in front of an American audience. So it's actually, there's a really cool thing happening with the Switch that hopefully I think will will pay off down the line as more and more games end up on there. Anyway, at the time... That was not the case. Um, it was even, I mean, Nintendo Power Magazine would even sort of intimate that, like, importing was illegal. You know what I mean? Oh, they wow. talk about the gray yeah. market, the gray market of of importing. And it's like, yeah, but is it illegal? And they're like, well, it's it's not authorized. It's like, it's not don't authorize it. Right, exactly. Oh, you shouldn't use, you should not use imported products that aren't licensed by Nintendo of America with your American system because you could burn your house down you know so, so they're gonna come and take you to nintendo jail chris Nintendo jail nintendo if, if there was a nintendo jail i would i would be i would be there already yeah, I'd be okay with so that. many crimes against nintendo um so yeah so i pop in final fantasy 5 and i'm like oh right i don't know japanese um and so then began the pr- that's and that's when i started learning japanese the first word i ever learned in japanese was potion um because i had to 
figure out. I looked at my item list. I I wrote down the characters that I saw. And I'm like, okay, well, this is a Final Fantasy item. I just got it. And I looked up, you know, each character in um, the best reference manual I had at the time, which was, of course, the instruction manual to Mario Paint, which I don't know if you guys remember, but Mario Paint, the U.S. version, still had in its, in its library of stamps, it had Japanese characters. Oh, I didn't remember that. And in the instruction manual, it said, oh, this game still has Japanese characters. Here's how you read them. Mm. And so, like, that was my first tool that I had to start to start transliterating uh, Japanese. And so, of course, you know, the katakana word potion, potion, and I figure out po o shoten. Mm. And I'm like, oh, it's a potion. There we go. Um, and that's such know, a I great feeling the first time you, you read that. And you're like, ah, oh, it's all starting to make sense. These characters and- mean something. Exactly. Exactly. And the funny thing is, I mean, once I started to kind of, I mean, I kind of already knew this a little bit, but once I started talking to people about this book, so many people that we know had the people that who live in Japan or know Japanese, you know, Andrew Vestal, who founded uh, this, the unofficial Squaresoft homepage and the gaming oh, yeah. intelligence agency, which of course I talk a lot about in the book. His first word in Japanese was Tento. <laughs> Tent. And that was in Final Fantasy V. Um, Christian Nutt, who who you who you guys both know, mm-hmm. um, he his for I mean he he worked for Gama Sutra for a while, various Ziff Davis publications, stuff like that. His first word in Japanese was "itemu," item, item, nice that was from Final Fantasy V. Yeah. Um, John Riccardi, uh, in- John Riccardi, who founded Eight Four, I forget what his first word was, but it was from Final Fantasy V. <laughs> 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 and now he lo- now he lives in Japan and localizes Japanese games. Yeah, that's know? right. Yeah, my uh, first internet stop. When I the first time I got on the internet, I actually searched for Squaresoft, and I went to the unofficial Squaresoft homepage. Nice. Yeah, well, that, so that was, was my idea. first internet. So when I talked to Andrew for the book, um, one of the stories that's in there is he was just like, he was 15 years old, um, and uh, he was like, I went on the internet and I did a search for Final Fantasy, and I got zero results. Wow. So I was like, gee, I should make a website about Final Fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's hard to imagine now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's when he did the unofficial Squaresoft homepage when he, right around the time he turned 16. Um, and just basically that was the destination for you wow. and for me and for everybody. It's like, that was like, you know, that was where you went to learn more about Squaresoft to, you know, find out what games they had made. And of mm. course the information was super sketchy and patchy and it was just what we could kind of, you know, put together from what we knew. I'm sure there were, I'm sure there were a lot of games missing, but it's like who had access to Japanese video game magazines at that time, who could even read them, you know, who could, you know, and then want to translate that in English. And so if you, I mean, if you could really, if you could really read Japanese and, and English and were interested in video games, you were a God. Oh yeah, you were God. <laughs> you were Jesus, and, and everybody's everybody's personal Jesus at that time was a yeah. guy named Tatsushi Nakao, and he was a grad student at the University of Boulder, Colorado. Uh, he's now a rocket scientist. Nobody's in touch with him anymore, unfortunately. Wow. Um, but Literally. he was big into Final Fantasy. He literal rocket scientist. Um, but at the time, he was only studying to be a rocket scientist. But he he also created an early Final Fantasy webpage called Elusia. Did you ever go to that one? I that didn't know. I'm sure I did. Yeah. And basically, he knew Japanese, knew English, and had he owned a lot of the Japanese Final Fantasy strategy guides and stuff like that. 
And he started putting together walkthroughs and tips and things like that for the Japanese games in English and putting them on his site. And so um, I I originally approached, um, there was a, a, a girl at the time named Nora Stevens, um, and she actually, she was a college freshman. She was active in the news groups on alt-games, alt Final <laughs> Fantasy. Um, Good times. Yeah, and I mean, she was active there, and she was playing through Final Fantasy V as well, and she was studying Japanese, and so we kind of start bouncing off of each other a little bit. Um which is amazing to me because I'm, I'm, I'm 15 and now I have this cool older friend who's like a girl <laughs> who plays Final Fantasy games in the original Japanese. Like this, this internet thing was amazing. At this the world point. opened up. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And, you know, meanwhile, you know, there, then there's also she also knew um, Tat Nakao, who, you know, knew even more than she did. So what it ends up being is um, I, I go to the two of them and I'm like, hey. Let's let's because of course Game Facts had also just launched. Mm-hmm. There's no fact for Final Fantasy V. If we're all gonna play this game, let's let's write a fact. Um and let's 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 all add what we can. You guys can send me your stuff. I'll you know, I don't know Japanese very well, but I know it enough to manipulate the, the text and everything at this point. We'll put it all together and we will help other people, you know, get Final Fantasy V. I even included in that fact, I was like how do you get Final Fantasy V? Here's the store that I bought it from. You know, <laughs> you can call them. Nice. Um, and I mean, that was and and it was basically we we kind of painstakingly put together the first English language um, guide. You know, not only a walkthrough to the game, but of course, Final Fantasy V is the job system game right. in which every character can be one of twenty different jobs, have all these different abilities, and so a lot of the work that Nora did was to translate all of that stuff all the tables of of abilities jobs translate it all explain what it all meant and that was incredibly important that was more important quite frankly than the walkthrough i was gonna say that you couldn't have picked a more complicated final fantasy to try and play for your first (laughs) japanese game yeah that's right i mean it was really became clear like oh god i need this is not final fantasy 4 where if you just press a you beat the game right like (laughs) I need I need to be able to read. Like I can't just I can't just bash my way through this because Final Fantasy V is this very subtle and complex game of of intricate character building. You need mm-hmm. to know what you're doing and you need to be able to read. So really the fact was part walkthrough and part quite frankly just instruction booklet, like a translated <laughs> instruction right. booklet for what is this game and what can you do here? Um, and so we released it and nobody read it because who who was importing Final Fantasy V? You know, I said Andrew Vestal, Christian Nutt, you know, it's just, those, just those guys. Um, and then the funny thing happened, as we kind of alluded to, was that um, suddenly Super Nintendo emulators actually got pretty good. And by 97, 98, you had now millions of people could potentially just download Final Fantasy V and start playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then did. we had all those, and they and they absolutely did. And then right at the same, and then like literally as that was going on, um, fans of this game were like, well, you can hack ROMs. You know, people have hacked Super Mario Brothers to put Sonic the Hedgehog in Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> so why can't we hack this ROM to put English language characters in place of the japanese characters um unfortunately that was that was like super difficult but Mm -hmm. there was a group of people that kind of met each other on the internet that like just decided like we're really going to go for it and they did it anyway Um, one of the earliest examples of a fan sub on the internet for a video game yeah Uh, uh, so i did some research into this and putting the book together and uh the very first 
was um, uh, SD Snatcher um, for mm. the for I believe the MSX, a floppy disk game, the Hideo Kojima game, and um, and they ended up doing that uh, and and replacing uh, those. And that was that turned out apparently that was like a, an an easier job. Like it was the 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 text in that game was stored in the binaries. I think just uh-huh. as text. So right. it was literally just a matter of going in there, swapping out the text and debugging. Um, not to not to you know disparage that, uh, yeah. that accomplishment. Um, so that I think was the first one, and then then Final Fantasy V may have been the second one. Um, but it was it was a much more difficult job. The game the game had to be reprogrammed to display right. English language text. It was very yeah. different. Um, and yeah, and all of this happened in the intervening you know years between. Um, the game's release, and then Squaresoft actually bringing it out in the U.S. in 1999. So Final Fantasy V, for a long time, was this lost Final Fantasy for mm-hmm. a seven-year gap. Um, and Until an fans... utterly atrocious version came out on Final Fantasy Anthology. Oh, it was terrible. I was so sad. Yeah, it was the um, worst translation ever. Wyburn. I still love Wyburn. Wyburn. I'll take it to my grave. It's not Wyburn isn't even the worst because they renamed Tonberry to Dingleberry. <laughs> oh no, poor Tonberry. It was it was it was really bad. And to look at that translation, I I mean so that translation originally was gonna be used for a PC version of the game. Because for Windows ninety five. Which oh. yep. I did not know this before uh, you wrote your book. So tell us a little bit a bit about this. The funny thing is that I mean, there were articles about this. Um, I mean, you know uh, uh, Terry Wynn, who works at Xbox now, but he was uh, he was at at, uh, at Ziff Davis for a long time. He actually ended up penning this this feature in, I believe, Computer Gaming World, um, announcing that Final Fantasy V was going to come to the PC, and there were all these screenshots of it. And the translation mm. is the exact translation Ouch. from places. Oh yeah, it's it's not good. Um, but uh, yeah, they basically Square had moved into PC. Uh, with Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, you know, we got this game, Final Fantasy V. Like, let's do a PC port. Well, they hired an American developer to literally start reprogramming the game from scratch um, for Windows 95 rather wow. than emulate. Yeah, crazy. Uh, um, it didn't go so well. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and they abandoned that project. But the script was done. And so when it came out on PlayStation, all they had to do was just dump the script into the PlayStation version. They were good to go. And they didn't bother like checking it over for typos or bad translations. Nope. There was, I mean, there was no check. I mean, I, it really, it very clearly, like as far as I can tell, I wasn't, I was never able to get any more of that story, but, um, uh, it was, I mean, it's a first pass. It seems like somebody, somebody went through it and then nobody went back to check. It's not even, it's not even that it's inconsistent with other games in the series. It's inconsistent with itself in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like it says, um, uh, monster uh, stone monsters don't like gold hairpins, which, as we know in Final Fantasy, you take the golden needle cures stone. But if a monster is made out of stone, you just hit it with a golden needle and it dies, right? right? Well, it's a good piece of information. Unfortunately, somebody else decided <laughs> that golden needle didn't fit, so they renamed it soft. Oh, Jesus! A softening <laughs> potion. So now the <laughs> item is called soft, but then the person tells you to use the golden needle on the monster. Right. And if you don't know any better, you're going to go look, go on a, a wild goose chase all over the whole entire game for a golden needle. Oh, which my God. Find. 
Yeah. I love so those it's, old it's translations. That, it's, that, it's that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. But that was even an old translation. It was a 1999 translation. Like, <laughs> I thought, you know, at that point, like, I thought we'd figure this all out, but apparently not. Apparently not. Apparently not. Yeah. So it looked like you got some, you managed to get an interview with, a new interview with Hironobu Sakaguchi. Uh, were you able to get an interview with Ted Woolsey? No, you know, I didn't go after Ted Woolsey for this because I'd honestly, I had actually already spoken to Ted Woolsey at length about the Final Fantasy V um, business in America uh, for um, my old book, Power Up, back in 2004. And it did not seem to me that, like, if anything, uh, 12 years later, he probably has less memory of what <laughs> of what happened at that point. But we talked about it pretty extensively, and I just quoted myself um, in 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 that sense. Right. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of confusion about like when the decision was made to shut it down because of course it was like when was the and and actually one of the things that I wish I had had um, but I I didn't have and couldn't get for the book um, was called the Ogopogo Examiner. Oh, and I remember this that. Was a, you remember that? This was I a, a it was a five issue um, run that Square did of a of a newsletter, and these mm-hmm. newsletters would be anywhere between like two and five pages, basically that yeah. they'd they'd mail to the people on their mailing list. Um, and they talked about they talked about a lot of stuff in Ogopogo Examiner, and it's all dated. You know, it's like spring 1992, and they're talking about making games for the Super Nintendo CD ROM. And yeah. then it's like, you know, winter 94, they're talking about, you know, Final Fa- oh, Final Fantasy V is coming here as Final Fantasy III. So you can start to put together the chronology a little bit, but I can't find scans of them online. Yeah. And it didn't, it didn't even occur to me until way too late that I should dig really hard for those. Because once I, once I started actually, I, I thought they were sort of like advertisements, which they mm. which they were. But once I started actually finding scans of them way too late, I was like, oh, they they really talk about like the current status of their products here in a in a in a concrete way with a date on it. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna try to find those as well. I have one. I have one, and I have a scan of another. I, I could probably get in touch with somebody who has all of them and say, hey, I really like scans of these because I, I just need the information. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have them. I'd love to have them. Yeah, right. Did you learn anything new from your uh, interview with Sakaguchi? Oh, right. Yeah, oh, a lot. A lot. And um, mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of this this podcast now talking about like my personal story and uh, and all that, but um, and that and that is a big part of the book. Um, but also, the other half of the book is talking with Sakaguchi about old school Final Fantasy development. Um I think the uh, Final Fantasy V, he really characterized it as a as a cooperative thing between himself and Yoshinori Kitase, who still works at Square Enix heading up the <laughs> Final Fantasy series. Um, it was Kitase's first game, and um, basically Sak- he was he was Sakaguchi's right hand man as far as the story uh, and the actual like the the flow of the game, the plot, and so Sakaguchi would write a bit, and then and then he tossed it over to Kitase, and he'd write the next part who would then toss it back to Sakaguchi and write the next part. And yeah. so in that way, it was this like ping pong improvisational style of story writing. <laughs> oh my they God. knew where it was going, but it was kind of like, okay, well, now you've seen what I did, so you take the next scene. That's how um, I used to write with my friends when I was like yeah, 18. Yeah, we used to have, a, we used wow, to have games we like that. So clearly, so clearly there's something to that as far as sparking the, the creative process, I would guess. And it's like, 
you it's like well you only have to do this next one scene you know it's like that's all it's, that's as far as you got to get and then i'll take it over so you don't have that i'm guessing you don't have that whole like one writer just staring at a blank yeah. page of paper forever kind of kind of problem um I mean, this this game was put together. These they made these video games in record time. This game yeah. was made in, in a year. Final it's Fantasy IV came out. These days. It's impossible these days. Yeah, impossible. You you basically you can't you can't you can't. Not only can you not make this this kind of game in a year anymore, you can't make this kind of game anymore because yeah. this is literally like twenty to thirty. You know what I mean? Eh, maybe more like twenty. So twenty of the most talented people in the video game industry of Japan mm-hmm. working for a year to create this beautiful, you know, pixel art game. Like a lot of that, a lot of that like technical knowledge, people aren't really using it anymore, but like you right. you couldn't do this anymore because this game was going to go on to sell like 2-3 million copies, guaranteed. And that's why we're able to pay all these people, you know, a year's salary. You'd have 20 of them making a pixel RPG. Um, it just it, it, it doesn't work out anymore. There's nothing. No. There is no guarantee that a, that a group of 20 people can make something anymore that's going to sell 3 million, which is, you know, insane amounts of money and then and then bring that back in. Um, right. So this was just this golden time that you can't you can't replace it. And of course, there are games that it's like, look, they know that the next Call of Duty is going to sell three, four, five, ten, whatever million copies, but that's not 20 people making a pixel RPG. Exactly. Um, that's that's 500 people, you know, making... So, but even even with that in mind, even with that in mind that it was just a different time and this was possible then, they would finish a game, they would take a month vacation, because of mm-hmm. course they just literally worked in the office, sleeping under their desks, yep. <laughs> chain-smoking, killing themselves i don't want to glorify this either because right. every story you hear sounds like extremely unhealthy behavior like Absolutely. i read a story that uematsu had quit smoking and got into a slump and then started smoking again to get out oh, of the slump. like it's just bad behavior right. um but they take a vacation for a month and then they come back to do it all over again um and in that that span of time, the game would have been released. And so, literally, they they I mean, you can look up when they shipped Final Fantasy IV, when they shipped Final Fantasy V, cut a month out of that, and that's the development time for Final Fantasy V for Sakaguchi to have to write a brand new story, for Uematsu to compose a brand new two disc mm. soundtrack, right? For right. for you know Tetsuya Nomura, who started on Final Fantasy V, and and Kazuko Shibuya, who's a, a a woman, one of the only women working at Square, who actually she is responsible for the the pixel art style for the for the chibi characters, the Nitoshin characters, as they're oh, called. Really? Um, yeah, that's that's all her uh, from Final Fantasy One. That the little cute little black mage, that that style, that's <laughs> the, the icon. Um, and and the funny thing is, she gets no credit. Yeah. Because because she wasn't famous. Yoshitaka Amano was the was the image, you know, the illustrator mm-hmm. who did all the mm-hmm. illustrations. He wasn't doing pixel art. You yeah. know, the, the pixel art was Shibuya from the beginning. And then in in 5, Tetsuya Nomura came on as a as a, a character enemy designer and also um doing pixel art as well. Um and 
they but they just they they had to do all that work you know in this in this incredibly limited and, time span. and they kept doing it up all the way through nine we're currently doing our final fantasy nine reports are step by step through the entire game and we were commenting how final fantasy nine came out a year after less than a year after final fantasy eight well, at that point, they had two teams. Yeah. Um, after Final Fantasy VII, they split into two teams, and one team started working on but eight. But VII came out um, really fast, too. It did. One team like, started working on nine. No, seven didn't. Well, seven, yeah, yes. Rel- so, for relatively seven, speaking. Seven, seven didn't come out fast, but what basically happened was, so with Final Fantasy V, that was, that was actually the last game on which that whole team was all working on one game. Because when Final Fantasy VI came around, um, Sakaguchi was now splitting his time between Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger. Because ah. Chrono Trigger started development at the same time as Final Fantasy VI. Oh, really? And so, yeah, so that's when Sakaguchi was like, okay, well, I'm the producer of both of these games. Kitase is going to direct Final mm-hmm. Fantasy VI. Um, and so that was the sort of the passing of the torch. Um, which is why I think Final Fantasy V is a really special game, because it is the last... Um, I feel really, by the way, we're doing this podcast and I'm watching the video of, of, of both of you guys. We're on a Skype video call. I'm currently the only person in this podcast who doesn't have a cat uh, on his lap right now. Well, you should fix we that, a, Chris. We a cat here. Cat. I have no cats. <laughs> there are three cats um, in this podcast. Nobody told me about you need to have a cat for this podcast. Um, so anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. So the team basically split off into um, Final Fantasy V is like the first or the last Final Fantasy game in which, you know, Sakaguchi, father of Final Fantasy, was the director of that. Right. Game. Uh, and then after that, that is sort of the beginning of the second era where he takes a step back. So with Final Fantasy VI, Chrono Trigger was going on simultaneously. After they finished Final Fantasy VI, my understanding is... Chrono Trigger needed people, so and I think they talked about this in the um, the Matt Leone did that oral history of Final Fantasy VII on Polygon, and I think that's where we learned that um, at that point the Final Fantasy VI staff moved over to Chrono Trigger, and it was all hands on deck to finish Chrono Trigger, and that's why Final Fantasy VII came out like three years after VI because they had to get Chrono Trigger done, and then after that it was splitting up team went and then that team went to final fantasy 7 and um and they and i think what you were referencing cat is that they did final fantasy 7 in a year right yeah and in a relatively yeah. short period of time but yeah. of course as you said they didn't start on it re- right away yeah and so yeah but then they split up because final fantasy 8 and 9 were, were different teams and then of course i mean there you know sakaguchi was also doing the movie at that time oh god <laughs> yeah that's a whole other ball of wax. I, yeah, that, yeah, he was sinking the whole company is what he was doing, but yeah. So uh, we're out of time, but... No, it's fascinating. Yeah, it is really fascinating. But uh, Chris, we recently went on Retronauts to talk about Final Fantasy VI. So jealous. you should be looking forward to that because I feel like that's the next chapter in this kind of discussion. Uh, that's right, that's right, yep. But in the meantime, also... Your book, Final Fantasy V, just simply titled Final Fantasy V, is, yep. well, it's currently out of stock on Amazon, but it is... Oh, no! <laughs> well, I mean, I mean not I mean, oh, no for you, well, it's sold, but... Uh, that's good. Yeah. When more work, digital copies, right? When more copies come in, he talks at length about his experience. Um, as a 15-year-old kid, uh, localizing this, or not localizing this, writing the FAQs, meeting all these people, how it affected his life, but also going really in-depth into what makes Final Fantasy V special, and of course has a new interview, so I strongly recommend it. Uh, Chris, 
thanks for coming on the show. We can find your work as usual at Kotaku. You have anything that you want to plug? Uh, that book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it. That's, it. that's the big one right now. Yes, I, I'm currently, uh, I was at, if you're familiar with me, I was at Wired for about 10 years and uh, now I'm features editor at Kotaku. Um, and so, yeah, well, thank you. Thank you both uh, very much for having me on. Oh, well, thank uh, you for coming. Really, it, it was great. Absolutely. Like, I'm just like really fascinated by the whole thing. I just love that sort of how the sausage is made uh, narrative. Yeah. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks, Chris. And we'll have you again real soon. Yes. All please. right. Bye. Take care. All right, Nadia, let's wrap this up with some reader emails. Uh, last week, we talked about the SNES RPGs from hell. Yes, we In did. addition to the SNES Classic, and people had plenty of thoughts as usual. Writer Kicker says, wow, were there a lot of stones in the SNES library? That's true. Mm-hmm. It is a shame that America never got to enjoy FF5, Bahamut Lagoon, Live a Live, Arabian Nights, Front Mission, Metal Max, LaGrange Point, and three decent SRW games. Although I suspect... It may be related to resources since the games named in this episode appear to be the most easiest the most easiest to translate, especially if they were just NES-style games with barely better graphics yet can cash in on the popularity of FF2. Whatever it may be the case, at least I can take comfort in knowing that the genre tried to thrive in an American market saturated with sports and action games. I'd say that's pretty true, Nadia. Yeah, although the SNES uh, didn't have a lot of sports games, as I recall, because my brother was always trying to get me to get a Genesis because that's where all the sports games were. <laughs> All the sports games were better on Genesis, for sure. It wasn't until late in the generation that the SNES started to catch up a bit with the Genesis. But mm-hmm. yeah, the SNES was versions were missing features, and yeah, it was, just wasn't as good. The Genesis had a clear advantage, and that was one of the reasons that it was able to compete yeah. so well with the SNES. How come it was missing features? Like, Was there a specific reason? I know EA wasn't a huge fan of Nintendo. Uh, as I recall correctly, if I recall correctly, the processor was kind of slow and there were memory problems and they were just having, it was actually kind of hard to program for the thing. Oh, really? So, yes, whereas the Genesis was extremely easy to program for. And right. so EA, and plus EA made a deal with Sega like right out of the gate mm-hmm. where... I mean, because Sega was very much going for an enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And EA, if I recall correctly, EA cracked Sega, like cracked Sega Genesis's uh, lockout chip and basically came out and said, we've cracked your lockout chip legitimately, unlike uh, Tengen, and we are going to, uh, basically, we want a sweetheart deal We'll make games for you, but we want a sweet hard deal on licensing. And from that point on, Sega and EA were best of buds. Yeah, it worked out well for both. It, you're right, because that really did help the Genesis stay competitive, whereas the SNES was really... The SNES was a great RPG machine. The Genesis was a great sports machine there. Harmony. Yes, it was... It, it, it allowed for definitely different experiences, yeah. but... Satellite of Love says, E3 was done by other developers outside of the Rock and Sound team hash underscore jdk ost basically you tossed a check at falcom they'd be perfectly okay with you making garbage versions of their games for consoles and in the case of three even new entries of great selling franchises no one want no one at nf wanted to do a sequel on throw in more money and they do the music (laughs) (laughs) 
I think Final Fantasy Mystic Quest gets a bad rap, but Nadia covered most of its high points, i.e. the music. I do think it's interesting how many of the things it did to simplify the gameplay eventually became standards. Not just the lack of random encounters, but even the no-frill equipments. Changing out armor pieces has become rarer and rarer in JRPGs, so admittedly games like FFA compensate by having alternate systems to accomplish the same idea, and Mystic Quest does not. But I also think it deserves credit for having some decent territorial puzzles and a lot of good combat feedback. I wish every game called out when you hit an enemy's weakness, and I really enjoy swapping between weapons, even if, in practical terms, you only really do so to use a claw against a monster that's vulnerable in its various status ailments. Nadia, I got a couple of emails in favor of Final Fantasy Mystic yeah, Quest. Yeah, a couple of tweets as well. I saw uh, people hailing us saying, hey, how dare you say bad things about Mystic Quest? Unsubscribe. I think they weren't serious, but <laughs> there are, it does have its fans. And, of course, uh, somebody totally said, uh, Matcom26 says, I'm glad from Draken made it on your worst RPGs list. I might have unsubscribed if this dumpster fire had been omitted. <laughs> Draken made an indelible impression on me as the first game my older brother bought for his SNES. Haunting, inscrutable, and deeply disturbing are some of the ways I describe it from the perspective <laughs> of a 10-year-old mind. Yes. Lord knows I couldn't make any sense of it at all what to do or where to go, or even what the general plot was back in the day. Just endless wandering, facelessly murmuring beings, and the occasional giant enemy blasting down from the stars to stomp the life out of me. Oh, that's right. There was like this, I I, I was watching someone play it, and yeah, there was like some crazy enemies that just pop out of nowhere, like these giant dog heads, which are kind of terrifying if you're 10 years old. Yeah, I understand. And oh, Jeremy Parrish did a whole thing about Draken not too long ago. Yeah, that might be what I was thinking of. But yeah, I seem to remember like seeing like in that video the giant dog heads and the enemies that kind of swoop down from the stars. And I'm like, damn, that's a little scary. And yeah, if you're ten years old, that's that's quite impressionable. What a what a first impression of the SNES. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, and that's the end of our episode. But as usual, you can find Axe to Blog on on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Follow us on social media. I'm on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is on Twitter at Nadia Oxford, and of course, US Gamer Net is where you will find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. By the way, we stream every Tuesday and Thursday. Just recently, we did a stream for uh we did an snes classic mega marathon stream i've streamed mega uh gundam versus uh sometimes we stream PUBG, and mike and katie have their quest for a chicken dinner so <laughs> check that out and of course check out our other podcast which is the u.s gamer podcast nadia you are on that one i am i am very much on that one cat is not but we still managed to make it work yes um Yes, you guys do make it work, and I enjoy your podcast. It has a different vibe to it. And it you were talking about Cuphead in the previous episode. You were really going into depth on the SNES Classic, talking about that. You do quick hit headlines. So if you haven't mm-hmm. checked out that podcast, I strongly recommend that you subscribe. Okay. Please. Yes, please. Okay, we'll be back next week, as usual. Same RPG time, same RPG location, where we'll be doing more discussion about Final Fantasy IX report. Might be talking a little bit about uh, South Park. We don't know. We'll we see. Don't know yet. Who we'll knows? See. Fingers crossed. Uh, we'll try to get some more Divinity Original Sin 2 chatter in here as well as per popular request. Okay. For Nadia, Chris Kohler, and myself, thanks for coming by, and we'll be back as usual next week. Until then, happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.